620 WTMJ. Be careful out there. Um, again, some winter weather advisories that hopefully will be expiring soon, but we, we've been dealing with this ice and the slick conditions, so be careful, especially some of the outlying areas and all around this area. Once again, it, it's the sidewalks that I have found. I was at dinner last night at a restaurant in Grafton, and, and they actually, coming out, they had salted. I mean, they, they had salted the walks. didn't matter. It was just kind of a sheet of pure ice. So uh, be careful. Uh, right now, 35 degrees. The rain is moving out of the area, so hopefully things will get better, at least for the time being. And then, like I say, the long-range forecast is for warmer weather. Matter of fact, it is going to be, interestingly enough, if you believe the long-range forecasts, it is going to be almost as warm here as it's going to be in Phoenix, Arizona, or Los Angeles, California this weekend. So... Kind of one of those different vagaries of things. A lot of ground to cover. We start off, as we do every morning, with what I call three big things, three stories that I I think you you need to know about, interesting things to talk about at the water cooler or the coffee closet or at lunch. Number one, controversy over the inauguration continues. At last count, there are now 42 Democratic lawmakers who have decided to skip the inauguration of Donald Trump. Um, They have declared that they are not going to attend the inauguration on Capitol Hill this week. Um, Some of the the numbers started to increase after John Lewis, and we talked a little bit about this on yesterday's show, and I understand that yesterday was Martin Luther King's holiday, holiday, but there was, in fact, a show. Over the weekend, of course, the big brouhaha was when John Lewis, who was one of the Freedom Riders, he marched with Dr. Martin Luther King, on Friday, he, he goes out and he chooses to denounce Donald Trump, saying that Trump is not a legitimate president. Now, th- th- he also said the th- same thing about George Bush. So this is the guy's kind of standard, you know, canard that he throws out there. But, you know, Trump responds and Trump says, you know, he should, you know, he should stop complaining about, you know, legitimate elections and he should concentrate more on the problems in his district. And then people say, oh, you know, he's a civil rights icon. You shouldn't criticize him a couple days before the Martin Luther King, you know, holiday and to which... It's kind of like, well, if you want to get in and, you know, you, you want to – I don't think John Lewis, in my opinion, is immune from criticism and the fact that he is a civil rights icon. If he decides that he wants to make stupid comments about Donald Trump and, and arguing that Trump's presidency is not legitimate, whether you like Donald Trump or not, this argument that, well, he's not a legitimate president, that's, that is a stupid claim. You can say, I disagree with him. I think people were wrong to vote for him. I think he's going to be a disaster, whatever. But to say he's not legitimate is stupid. And so, and, and Trump responds. And you can argue that Trump should just let this stuff go, but he's not that kind of guy. So anyhow, after this brouhaha, that empowers more and more Democrats. So right now there's 42 Democrats, um, most of whom are sort of backbenchers, including the the guy out of Madison, Mark Pocan. Most of them are kind of backbenchers, but they announced that they are going to skip the inauguration because – Donald Trump decided to take on John Lewis, or mostly because we think Donald Trump's going to be terrible, so we are not going to show up. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, if nobody says you have to go and do anything. If you decide, if you're an elected official, that you don't want to go to a particular event, that is certainly your right to do so. At the same time, You know, this country is all about the orderly transition of power. We have elections. Elections matter. And 
I think there is a respect for the office that transcends the respect for the person that is in the office. I mean, I, I've told these stories before. I've had an opportunity to meet, you know, many of, of many presidents over the course of my lifetime. And there were some presidents, uh, Bill Clinton was a classic example. I had a chance to meet Bill Clinton a couple times. I, I did because, well, you get a chance to meet the president. I didn't agree with a lot of stuff Bill Clinton did. I thought he was um, especially sleazy when it came to the the lying about the Monica Lewinsky affair and stuff like that. But the the point is you get to meet the president. I mean, how often do you get to do that? 414-799-1620. These decisions to skip the inauguration by at least 42 Democrats and now counting, are these acts of principle to be applauded or are these just crybaby whiners who should show up because it's an important transition of power, and they should show respect for the office. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. 840-JEFF-WAGNER-620-WTMJ. Are they doing the right thing by skipping the inauguration? 843-JEFF-WAGNER-620-WTMJ. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, did Slinger High School screw up? Friday marks the country's next presidential inauguration. The guys on WTMJ Today take you behind the scenes of all the pomp, planning, and pageantry. At 107 this afternoon, 42 Democrats announcing that they are going to skip the inauguration. The big argument is Trump is going to be awful. Trump is not legitimate, so we're not going to show up. All right, is this an act of principle, or are these petulant children? Wayne and Colgate. Wayne, good morning. You're first. Wayne. Trump... Trump got nobody to blame but himself. Well, first of all, I don't think Trump cares whether these guys... I I don't think Donald Trump cares whether these 42 guys show up or not. I I don't think he's losing any sleep over this, would be my sense. No, he's he's not. And uh, uh, he talked about during the campaign that if he didn't win the election, it was going to be fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the birther, birther movement... The whole Republican Party wouldn't uh, wouldn't vote on a uh, Supreme Court justice with uh, President Obama having eleven months left in his. Uh, so, so what? But okay, so forty two guy, forty two men and women, forty two Democratic Congress people decide they're not going to show up. What? What are they accomplishing by that? It's just their own personal decision not to do it, okay. not to show up. It's no big deal. Well, no, it, they, right? I mean, it, it is well. It, it is and it isn't. I mean, here you, you say it's their personal decision not to show up. This is what this is, in my opinion, what it is. This is all about raising money for 2018 and 2020. That this is with a whole. Donald Trump is not a legitimate winner. It is designed purely that they know that this was a legitimate election. See, I don't know what that term means. It's not a legitimate election. Yes, he he was elected. He won the electoral college. He is the the president. And what you have is you have a bunch of these loser crybabies in my opinion who have decided we're going to try to continue to try to keep our base mobilized. And Lord knows President elect Trump is probably going to give people a lot of a lot of ammunition to keep the base mobilized. But that's what this is all about. This is we are going to try to we're going to we're not going to show up because not because we really think it's not legitimate, but because, you know, we want to have talking points. We want to have people continue to be fired up. We want to raise money for 2018. We want to raise money for 2020. That's what this is about. OK, Cory Booker. 
Booker, the senator who goes and testifies against Jeff Sessions for attorney general. That's not about any principled objections to Jeff Sessions. That's because Cory Booker is looking at running for president four years from now. And what he wants is he wants to energize the base. But at the same time, and I, I get all that. I understand that there's politics involved in everything. But this country has always been about orderly transitions. It's been about the office transcending the individual. And I guess I just think deciding that you're not going to show up at the inauguration to try to score political points with your base or raise money is petty and it is pathetic. And again, I, I, Donald Trump going to lose any sleep that 42 or 50 or 60 Democrats don't show up? No, of course not. You know, give the seats to somebody else. But this, as a tactic, is very, very disappointing. Scott and Crivet. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Petty is pretty light going with that word. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, I can't tell you. No. <laughs> hey, no. These guys here just shows you the same kind of people that, uh, you know, went crazy at uh, Madison and stuff like yep. that. I mean, it's the same old group of people. And what they're doing is they're putting a big bunch of circles on their back. And there's a middle and a center. It's called a bullseye. Not well, I mean, ele- gonna... well, I mean, electoral. I mean, I, they're staking out. I mean, they, I mean, they're. I mean, it, you know, if, if what you're talking about is, is a political implication, if if you're if you're in, I, first of all, I got to tell you something with Donald Trump. I have no idea where his policies are, are going to be. I mean, if you if you listen to some of the stuff he was talking about during the campaign, it wasn't exactly conservative type of things. I would have thought that this this is a guy that maybe some people on the left, even some people on the far left, would think that they could bring him around to certain issues. Uh, doing stuff like this doesn't make it easier for for the Mark Pocans of the world, if they want to try to, you know, work with Donald Trump, you know, this does not make it easier for them to endear themselves to him if you're really going to try to get stuff done. But let's be honest. This isn't about trying to get stuff done. The, the, the people in the opposition, all they want to do is they want to see, all right, let's 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 see if we can create political issues. Let's see if we can raise money so we can have a better election in 2018 than we did in 2016. John in Princeton. John, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, uh, I just I think it's ridiculous that they're all boycotting that. If the shoe was on the other foot and the Republicans were doing this, oh, boy, it would be the hugest disrespect of Hillary Clinton Albert. Okay, let me take it one step further, John. Let's let's flash back to 2008. Can you imagine if you had 42 Republicans who decided that they didn't want to show up for the Barack Obama inauguration in January of 2009 because he wasn't a legitimate president? Can you imagine what the headlines would be? Oh, yeah, it'd be all, it'd be all turned to race then. Right. Oh, they're all racist and they don't like blacks. Right. And I'm also wondering what 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 did Obama do that was so great for the black population? I, I don't see it. Well, I, I mean, again, I, I don't I, see anything for the black people getting better in the eight years of Obama. So isn't that the American way to, to let somebody else lead the country and maybe they can do something that's going to actually be good? Well, I mean, I, again, I, I look, I, 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 I mean, I think how Barack history will decide how Barack Obama is viewed. And so, I mean, the one thing we know is that he was never able to take his personal popularity and then translate it into popularity for his policies or popularity for other Democrats. But, I mean, history will will decide that. But, see, what frustrates me about this whole thing, again, is 
we're at we're, we're about orderly transitions, and I just think it, it's just such an act of disrespect. And I, I'm I, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I'm agnostic on Trump. He's not going to lose any sleep over this. But at the same time, this is nothing about po- but about being about being pol- political. This is all right. We're going to raise money, and I think it's unfortunate. Jeff in South Milwaukee. Jeff, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Yeah, I'm just you know I. I, I I've been a full-fledged Democrat my whole life, and I think this is just a complete atrocity, the way they're acting, the way they're carrying on themselves. You know, they got to give this president a chance. You know, i got two little boys. I'm disabled now, but I was a full union member my whole life, you know, 20 and a half years before my neck got broken. And you know what? I'm disabled now, and I'm still trying to raise two little boys. And you know what? I just think it's, you know, it's time for everybody to get together and put all their right. differences aside, and let's make right. America great again. Yeah, yeah. You, What's you, wrong with that? Yeah, well, Jeff, you want to see, I, I think all of us should be in the position where we want to see the country succeed. And if Donald Trump screws up, all right, then, then we criticize him, then we resist him. But this idea that, well, he, he's not a legitimate president, that this idea that, you know, we don't have to pay attention to him or whatever, that is bad and it is dangerous because, again, it just makes accomplishing anything much more difficult. And, and it's coming from a completely unprincipled perspective. You know, the guys that are touting this argument, again, all they're trying to do is raise money for 2018 or whatever, but but they're willing to, again, make it more difficult for you and for your kids and for all the rest of us for purely political purposes. Yeah, and, and they, they keep trying to put him, make him out to be this big villain that he's so prejudiced and all this and that. No, I got, I got, my granddaughters are half black. I got, I got two adult children also, and 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 I got mulatto children and our grandchildren. And you know what? I'm I'm looking for the future. I want some. I want this country to be great again for everybody. Well, right. Well, Jeff. I mean, look. Here's the deal. If if Donald Trump enacts policies that are going to be, you know, overtly racist or something like that. Okay, then, then fine. Then you call him out. Then you have that discussion. But he's not even the president right now. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, good morning. I, I, I don't think the Democrats should should boycott the mm-hmm. inauguration. I, I think, you know, both the top, the top Democrats, uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, both said, you know, give the guy a chance. They yeah. Give the guy a chance. They have to work with this guy. Well, you would think you'd have to work. I mean, you would think you would want to work with him. I mean, if I was, if I was a, if I was a congressman in an econ- a Democratic congressman in an economically depressed area, the last thing I would want to do is say this president is not legitimate because you guarantee that you're going to be irrelevant for four years. I would be saying, well, we have some differences, but I want to work with this president to try to at least. Bring him around on some of my issues. Isn't that what a isn't that what a politician in the minority should be doing? Looking out for their constituents. Absolutely, and this guy shows some centrist views. He's in some ways he's way better from a Democrat's perspective. I, he's way better than a Tea Party Republican. I, he has some central views. He's gone back. He's kind of gone against the Republican I, Party on a few things. It, a few, it, yeah. All right, thanks. Yeah, and John, the congregation says amen. That that was one of the arguments I was making against Trump during the campaign, that I, I have very serious doubts as to whether the guy is a true conservative. He's not a, certainly not a conservative yeah. in the, the Ronald Reagan term of, of conservative. But, no, thanks. I, again, I, you would – this this is an opportunity, and I understand – I understand that politics isn't being bagged, but this 
This decision to boycott, and again, who cares? Donald Trump's not going to lose any sleep over this, but it, it demonstrates where we are in American politics now, that before he's even sworn in, the argument's going to be, he's not legitimate. We have to run him down. To me, people like Mark Pocan out of Madison and John Lewis and all the, and again, John Lewis plays the, it's not a legitimate president. This is not the first time he's done that. They should shut up, they should show up, and they should work for their constituents. In less than three minutes, did Slinger screw up? Stick around. 854 Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about a half hour, the slants head to the Supreme Court. Yes, you heard me correctly. I'll tell you that story. Right now, we're in the middle of our three big stories. Big story number two, Slinger High School under under criticism. Here, here's what happened. Um, there was a reti- he is now retired. He was the band director and teacher, worked at the school for 37 years, retired in 2012. He has now been charged with inappropriate touching of a student. It goes back to 1999 or 2000. The student says she was 16 or 17 years old. Um, She was invited to his home on Highway 175 in Hartford after school. The alleged victim indicated that uh, the guy offered her beer. They talked. He eventually invited her to take a look at the basement. Um, Once they were in the basement, according to the complaint, she alleges that he offered to give her a back massage, etc., etc. It it goes on. You, you get the general idea. Now, I always have trouble with stuff like this, not because if somebody's guilty of this, they're guilty of it. But I always have trouble, and I expressed this point last week, when you have allegations that date this far back. You know, I mean, how if I were to say to you, you were, you know, you sexually assaulted somebody, you know, in 1999. And now it's 2017. I I have issues with that simply because how if you are, in fact, innocent, let us assume for the sake of argument that you're not guilty. How do you how do you prove that? I mean, how do you go back? I mean, it's one thing if somebody says, hey, my producer Hondo did something last Wednesday. Well, okay, last Wednesday, he can go back and he has a chance to say, no, I wasn't there. This is where I was. These are the witnesses that saw me. How, How do you go back and fight something like that when the allegations are in 1999 or in 2000. So I, I always have issues with with these extended statutes of limitations, but it is what it is. Now, since this victim has come, alleged victim has come forward, there, there's other people who apparently are, are calling as well. Washington County Sheriff's Office say they have received numerous calls alleging inappropriate contact with the former teacher. Where this goes, who, who knows, but... I, it does. This is one of the points I made when we were talking about the statute of limitations thing last week. It does seem to me that if there's a case, just like with the pedophile priest situation, th- there's typically just not one victim. I mean, it, it's just either somebody does stuff like this or they don't. And I take no position on, on this issue at all. It'll work its way through the court system. But here's where some of the controversy is now. Now, this this woman was she's now in her mid 30s. Um, she was a student. Seven, she was 16 or 17 at the time this allegedly occurred back in 1999 or 2000. According to the criminal complaint in 2004 or 2005, which would have been five or six years after the alleged conduct, 
the victim wrote an anonymous email to the Slinger High School principal. So this is an anonymous email. In the email, she said she wished to remain anonymous. So, you know, apparently she reports some of her allegations, but she doesn't identify herself. She does not come forward. And what the principal does is the principal then apparently um, sends an email back saying, or at least Slinger High School officials send an email back saying, well, give us your name. We, we want to investigate this. She does not respond. And there's no follow-up on this until last year, 2016, when she sends another email to the principal, this time including her name and specific allegations. So once she has specific allegations, once she puts her name, then there is, of course, an investigation. Slinger School officials say that they have no record of taking any action in 2004 or 2005 when the first email was apparently sent. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. There is now some criticism being launched at school officials that they should have done more Back in 2004 or 2005, when they first got this anonymous email making the allegations, what apparently happened is they get the email, it's got the allegations, they reach out to the woman, the person making the allegations, and they say, we need need more details, we need more specifics, who are you? And she never responds until, again, she, she brings this up 10 or 11 years later. Now, I'm not certainly, I'm not criticizing the alleged victim who knows what she's going through for, for for not following up on that. But did school officials screw up? Should they have done more than they did? Which was apparently, after getting the email, they tried to reach out to the person making the complaints to get more details, to get more information, to get her to come forward. And when she chose not to do it, apparently this nothing happened. Four one, and the man continued to teach for another five or six years. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. Should the school have done more? We discuss next. 915 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. One more roadblock on the path of the su- on the path to Super Bowl Fifty One, and it's the Atlanta Falcons. Wayne Larrabee has a preview of the NFC title game, as well as a look back at that instant classic in Dallas. That's for sure. When he joins Wisconsin's afternoon news at three twenty one today. All right. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Look, I think it is perfectly fair and legitimate to criticize institutions when they have information that there may be misconduct by people involved in the institution or employees or whatever, when they have verifiable information and they fail to act on it. I think it is legitimate to criticize them. Having said that, I... This this situation in Slinger that is still where these details are emerging, I don't see, honestly, what school officials could have done. Now, there's a retired teacher. He's been retired since 2012. He's now been charged with criminal activity, allegedly sexual assault of, of, a, of a student. So you've got that that's out there. It allegedly occurred sometime in 1999 or 2000. In 2004 or 2005, the alleged victim sent a, an email to school officials indicating 
that this something, an anonymous sort, it was anonymous, indicating that something had in fact happened. Uh, school officials apparently tried to track this down. They, they they said, okay, who are you? Give us details. And they never heard another thing about it. At that point in time, I seriously wonder what more they could have done. Um, obviously, if there were verifiable types of things that are out there, you act on them. But what what more could you do? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We're now joined by Darren Sievers, who's the superintendent of the Slinger School District. Good morning. Good morning. Um, quite a mess out there right now. The ice or? No, no, no. The <laughs> this yeah. whole story, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I just wanted to call Jeff to make sure that they understand what we know and what we don't know. And, and I did... I was not the superintendent at the time. Um, I was not the principal at the time. I I was actually a principal up at Allenton Elementary, one of our feeder schools. And uh, I did reach out to the principal of the of the building at the time. Um, that was Vic Erickson, uh, a valued principal in this community. And he doesn't even have any recollection of ever receiving an email from a student. So mm-hmm. again, what the police report is is is, uh, is saying. And what we have record of here don't necessarily mesh together. Oh, so you're saying there might not have even been an email in the first place in 2004, called, 2005. I called both the principal that w- would have been in charge of the building um, in in 05 and the previous principal, just in case the years, because she, again, some of the police reports read 04, 05, right. and there was a change over there. So I called both the prior principal, Paul Nelson, and the 05 principal would have been Vic Erickson, and neither of them have any recollection of, of receiving something as disturbing as this kind of, a, of accusation against Mr. Mr. Hankey. Even if, even if they're assuming for the sake of argument that the victim's sure. recollection is correct, at, at the same time, I'm not sure what else you, a school official could do. You, you try to do a little bit of follow-up on it, and if, if somebody's not willing to come forward or give you details or say who they are, it seems to me you pretty much hit a dent in. I don't know, even if you've gotten the note, I don't know what the school district could have done. Well, Jeff, you, you make a good point, and that was actually discussed in the open um, part of our agenda at the board meeting last night. We have a, a parent who came in and just asked, you know, what is your, your protocol for anonymous complaints? And they're challenging, um, mm-hmm. A, without someone being willing to identify themselves. And then depending on the level of specificity of the details they're willing right. to give without identifying themselves, certainly any complaint we take seriously and any concern we take seriously. But you also have to walk a very, very razor-thin line in terms of what we're willing to go to a teacher and accuse them of. Well, it's um, certain, and in a case whatever. like this where, it, it, again, assuming for the sake of argument that the alleged victim did send that email, and I appreciate you say we, we have no record of getting it, but even if she yeah. did, it, it's it, it's five or six years later. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like, hey, this happened a week or two ago. It's like, all right, how... With no yeah, details, it's, it's eleven years later, Jeff. Um, you know, again. Well, no, but if she got it, she, if she got it in two thousand four, two, if she oh, sent yeah, it in two thousand four, yeah. two thousand five, even then, it's yeah. still it's five or six years. How do you yeah, go to yeah. a teacher and say, "Oh, by the way, we've gotten this anonymous complaint. We don't know who it is or what the details are, and it's five or six years old." What I, I don't know what you, I don't know what the school district does in a it's case like that. Yeah. It's challenging. You don't ignore it, but you 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 certainly would heighten your awareness. Uh, you you you'd look for other warning signs. You, you'd you look for any clues, but it, it's not 
it's not nearly as clear as the pathway that we followed when we got the identified complaint in May and immediately turned it over right. to our, our local law enforcement and immediately took action to suspend our subbing relationship and move forward with all the steps that we've done since this victim identified themselves to us and, and, and has cooperated fully with Washington County. You know, Darren, I, um, I, I've talked to a lot of people in the Slinger area since this story broke, and yeah. interestingly, one of the things that I keep hearing over and over again is how many people really loved this particular teacher. Uh, just, I, yeah. you know, just about what, and again, I, I'm, I'm not passing, the court system will decide what the validity of these allegations are, but I, right. I've just been struck by how many people that I have talked to that have said, what a wonderful teacher this guy was. And, and, I'm, and I would I would chime in with that. Now, that's the challenge. I, 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 I've only been in this current position of superintendent four years, but I have been here 22. And so that's a lot of time overlapping with with Dave Hankey. And again, we we owe him a debt of gratitude for making our band programs the powerhouse they are, bringing the arts into a, a neat rural community and making them a big deal, making it cool to be in band. But that being said, um, nothing more troubling and disturbing than to think um, that a, a student of ours, uh, and we're all about kids first and foremost, might have gone through something as as, as disturbing and and scary as as what this complaint says. It, Darren, what would your just moving forward? What would your message be to parents or students that might, in the future, not in your district, but just in general, find themselves in a situation like this, what should they do? If, they're, if they ever think that they've been in a case where there's been uncomfortable contact with a teacher or some other school of, uh, official, what, what should they do? They need to act. They need to, they need to report. Um, we, we, we are in the business of education, first and foremost, but also in, in the business of child protection, uh, wrapped around that educational experience. And if parents are feeling like a line has been crossed, if students are feeling like they have been violated in any manner, then they, they, they need to let us know. And, and certainly um, within that complaint, there's, there's this challenge that I think the victim is, is, is saying that they struggled with as far as um, uh, do, do I dare tell this person because they're so popular or beloved. The bottom line is if they feel it's wrong and the family feels it's wrong, then they, they need to report it to the authorities report it to the school, and let us do our job, and that is to to protect kids and educate them to a high level. And as, as I was talking about earlier, um, while there's all sorts of reasons why victims delay making reports, the, the more timely the report comes in, the easier it is for whether it's law enforcement or for you folks, the easier it is to do your job. It's easier to track down something that somebody says happened two weeks ago than it is to track down something that somebody says happened 15 or 20 years ago. Not only does it help us, Jeff, you know, it helps us because now look at it. We're, we're dealing with a change, two changeovers in superintendents since that time, three changeovers in principals since that time. Um, that, that's what makes it challenging. But quite honestly, I go right back to the victim. Um, the sooner that they can stand up for themselves, advocate for themselves, let the authorities do their job, and if there's any therapeutic support, counseling, things that they need to to deal with the the fallout of what they've experienced, I, I go back to the victim. This is best for them to, so that they can process it, get support, and try to get beyond it and move forward with a productive life. That's that's our mission: is to give our, these kids a productive life, educationally and socially and emotionally. And and that's that's the other piece. Um, that is is got to be addressed here. The sooner that they act on it, the sooner that they can they can they can get the help and supports they need to put a, a, a terrible experience behind them. 
Darren Seaver, superintendent of the Slinger School District. Thanks for joining me this morning. I do appreciate your call. Thank you, Jeff. Take okay. care. Right. And again, I, look, I, I, I am the first. I will be the first to criticize school districts or other institutions if they think they've dragged their feet on or tried to cover up allegations of misconduct by employees. I, I will tell you in this particular case, I, I don't I don't see any evidence of that. And if what the superintendent is saying is in fact correct, that while the victim says, hey, I, I sent even an anonymous note to school officials back in 2004, 2005, uh, Slinger is saying we, we can't find that. If she did, we, we just, we nobody has any recollection of even getting that. Um, so there, there would, in that case, we just had no knowledge at all until we were contacted in 2016. Coming up in just a couple minutes, big story number three. Stick around. 927 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Friday marks this country's next presidential inauguration. The guys on WTMJ today take you behind the scenes of all the pomp, planning, and pageantry. That's one oh seven this afternoon. Big thing number three. All right, there are now three days left in the Obama presidency. He is commuting and/or pardoning prisoners at record numbers. Um, the S, and in particular, Obama has decided that there are too many people serving time in federal prisons for drug offenses. Now, Lord knows what he's going to do over the course of the next couple of days with regard to high-profile pardons, and there's a number of very, very controversial pardons that are out there. The presidential pardon power is, is essentially unchecked. This is one of the things, and it goes, back to, it goes back to the King of England, where the King got a chance to say, okay, even though you're guilty, even though you've been convicted, I am going to either pardon you, giving you a f- complete pass, um, or I am going to commute your sentence. So you're serving a 10-year prison sentence. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to reduce it to three years. It is an absolute power. It is essentially non-reviewable, and it is a power that is very much abused, especially in the waning days of an administration. On the way out the door, Bill Clinton did shameful things. You know, you had a, one of his fu- – a fugitive financier who was tied to the Clinton administration. The guy was a fugitive. Clinton decides to pardon him. I mean, but there's nothing you can do. It can essentially – well – They can do it for any reason. They can do it for no reason. But one of the things that Obama has been doing is he has been letting drug dealers go. So far, he has been responsible for the early release of almost 1,200 drug offenders who were sentenced under mandatory minimum laws passed in the 1980s and the 1990s. And back in the 80s and early 90s, these were the laws I worked with, which said if you get caught with X quantity of crack cocaine, there is a mandatory minimum penalty that you have to have. Well, Barack Obama doesn't like this, so he's, like I say, he's released about 1,200 people so far or shortened their sentences, you know, one or the other. And... They're saying that over the course of the next couple days, there could be even more. The New York Times, they've got a whole list of people that they think that uh, should be pardoned or for whom executive clemency should be given between now and the next couple days. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. 
some people use some elected officials use this pardon power freely. And Barack Obama certainly uses it freely. He doesn't like the fact that, gee, drug dealers, convicted drug dealers are in prison for as long as they are. Let's turn them loose. Other people, for example, governors have pardon power as well for people convicted of state offenses. Um, Scott Walker, I don't know that he's issued one pardon in all the years that he has been in office. Walker's general policy is, hey, you've got this court system that's out there. If you've been through the court system, it's not my responsibility. It's not my role to decide that I'm going to let somebody loose. I'm going to open the jailhouse doors and allow them to walk out before they serve their sentence. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. This clemency power, this ability to turn people loose, is it being abused, or is this a good thing? Barack Obama saying, hey, we, we've had this war on drugs. We've got these people serving these lengthy sentences. Do you want to see more of this, or has this been an abuse of authority? We discuss in two minutes. It's 939, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Chris on the east side. Chris, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Morning. Hi. Yeah, my issue is, uh, you know, all the presidents had this uh, ability. Mm Mm-hmm. So why are we just singling him out? Well, I'll tell you, because for commutations, which is reducing sentences or letting people out, uh, Barack Obama has issued uh, about 1,200, and they're, they're still coming out. That is more commutations than all the 11 other previous presidents combined. So the, the, and these, and the, these was majority for drug offenses? Majority, vast majority for drug offenses, yes. He so, does. Uh, as a prosecutor, do you still see the racial disparity between crack cocaine versus powder cocaine? I have no people were charged differently for more amount of pure cocaine than a watered down version of something mixed with uh, a powder. I, I well, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll answer your question directly. I, I have. I think Congress, I think we have been wrong to back off that distinction. What you're referring to is crack cocaine which is incredibly, incredibly more addictive than powder cocaine. And the way the, the laws were structured, and, and crack cocaine is about as bad as it gets. If you want, I'm just going to talk about Milwaukee. I'm going to get up my soapbox for just a minute here. Um, when we first saw 100 homicides in the city of Milwaukee were absolutely unthinkable, unthinkable until the mid-1980s when crack cocaine you know, sort of took over, incredibly addictive. And I'm look, I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not saying powder cocaine was any sort of, you know, anything good either. But crack cocaine was incredibly addictive. And once what happened is you had crack cocaine hitting the inner cities of this country and you had the drug gangs that that developed. They went to war with each other over who was going to be able to sling crack on this street corner or that street corner. And you had homicides that increased. You had addiction that went up. And Congress decided we are going to treat crack cocaine differently than we're going to treat – powder cocaine and they made the penalties tougher. So you're you're right, there was a difference. If you were if you were selling crack cocaine with all its addictive qualities and that, you were treated differently than if you were selling larger amounts of powder cocaine because of the incredibly addictive nature of crack. So I yes, and there were there were there was a disparity in that and 
there was, I guess, in effect, a practical racial disparity only because crack cocaine took over and destroyed inner cities across this country because you had gangs, in particular African-American gangs, that, that took up the idea that we are going to peddle this particular type of poison in the inner cities of our country, and we're going to get you know members of our community addicted to this type of stuff. So, yes, I, I mean, look, I was, a, I was a drug prosecutor in the, the mid and, and late. 80s. And yes, it is true that when I was prosecuting defendants for selling crack cocaine, the majority of them were African-American. But that's only because that, that's where the crack cocaine epidemic was, it, and that's where the drug gangs were. So to answer your question directly, I do not have a problem. Now, I understand it's become unfashionable to do this, and we've kind of backed off from this now. But no, I don't have a problem at all with treating crack as, as more significant than powder cocaine because I have seen firsthand how crack cocaine destroyed communities. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be sympathetic to a bunch of gangbangers that were selling crack cocaine on the streets in the 1980s and the 1990s. But if you're wondering, the bigger question is why I single out Obama, because all presidents have done it. The number of commutations he has issued, like I say, is more than the 11 previous presidents combined. Commutations being either reduction or a get-out-of-jail card free. Let's talk to Pete in Menominee Falls. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, morning, Jeff. Hey, my comment is I think there is, my understanding is that there is one control and one rule, kind of, if you want to call it that, that that the president's supposed to look at the individual files and not issue a blanket commutation. In other words, like, okay, anyone that's been in at least five years, okay, they're out. I thought he, I thought that the one requirement was that he had to actually... Right. Look and, at the individual, do it case by case. Right. Well, and I th- he, he, I mean, he's not issuing blanket commutations. In the fact, he's not saying everybody that's been in jail for more than 10 years gets out. But his guiding policy has been that, as our first caller was alluding to, he thinks that the disparity in sentencing between people who were sentenced for selling crack cocaine versus other cocaine, he thinks that that is what was wrong. He thinks that there shouldn't have been a difference. He thinks it disproportionately impacted, you know, African-American drug dealers. And so while there's not a blanket policy, that that, that's his overriding thing, though, that he doesn't he thinks drug sentences were too long in the 80s and 90s. And that's one of the guiding things. I don't think he's releasing necessarily drug kingpins, but he is his, his philosophy is these sentencing things were wrong. And I want to try to make it right. But doesn't he have to look at all I mean, if he released 1,200 people, doesn't he have to hit, he say, okay, I'm, I'm releasing John Brown and I'm releasing yeah, right. Charlie White yeah. and whatever? Yeah, you're right. And, he, and he's doing that. And, and, and just so so people are clear, in, in some cases, it's not a release. It's a reduction in sentence. Maybe somebody's serving a 20-year sentence and he decides. In, in some cases, it's been a, a release. In other cases, it's been you're serving a 20-year sentence. I'm going to cut it down to, to 10. Um, I I will tell you, and this, maybe this is just coming through the, the criminal justice system, I have always had a problem with the executive being able to do things like this. I, I have an issue with a, a president being a, or a governor, you know, being able to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to turn back the hands of time and I'm going to decide that I don't like this particular sentence or I am going to apply 2016 political correctness standards to, you know, somebody who was, again, 
you know, selling dope on a street corner in, you know, 1989 without really fully understanding the impact that that person who was selling dope in 1989, what was causing. So in any event, commutations are going to be continuing at least for another couple days. The other thing to watch is the actual pardons, because there's all sorts of people who are asking for pardons. Military deserter, Bo Bergdahl, he wants to be pardoned. Leonard uh, Peltier, who is, of course, um, you know, infamous for, you know, his his role in a murder in connection with the American Indian movement back in the 70s. He He's applying for a pardon. One person after another, including a lot of these high-profile cases, people asking to be pardoned. And you know that list is going to come out in the next couple days. It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tomorrow, in front of the United States Supreme Court. By the way, if you're ever in Washington and you have a chance and the Supreme Court is in session and they're hearing arguments, even if you're not an attorney, I always encourage people to go check it out. It is a fascinating thing. I'm a, I'm a member of the, with the bar of the U.S. Supreme Court. I've never argued a case in front of the Supreme Court and never will. But um, there's a special gallery that the lawyers, if you're a member of the bar, that you can go sit in. It makes it a little bit easier to get in. But it's absolutely fascinating to watch the Supreme Court work. And I just I encourage you, if you're ever in D.C. and the Supreme Court's in session, you can get in, do it. All right, tomorrow there is a really interesting case that's going to be heard in front of the Supreme Court. Um, it involves, okay, trademark, federal trademarks. Now, you might say, Jeff, how could this be interesting? Have you lost your mind? What is interesting about this? Well, here's the deal. There is a federal law that allows the Patent and Trademark Office to turn down applications So, for trademarks or names if it deems the name to be disparaging. So the most common example would be Redskins. You know, so the Washington Redskins want to patent and trademark their logos. All right. So is that, in fact, disparaging? Now, you don't need, for example, you don't need to trademark your logos or your names. But if you don't have federal trademark protection, it makes it much easier for somebody to come along and steal or appropriate your name. So here's the case that's going to be argued tomorrow. There is a band. The band consists of four Asian Americans. They call themselves the Slants, S-L-A-N-T-S. Now, of course, that that term is a, a derogatory term. Asian Americans object to the term because it makes reference to the eyes. That That's what this is all about. So this is a group that's been in effect. They've been around for years. You know, they, they produce albums. They do dance music. So they apply for a trademark for their name, The Slants. They are Asian Americans. And they say, hey, we're also artists. And actually, we're what they call this is they say it's it's a reappropriation. You know, we're we are trying to take a name that has a derogatory implication and we're going to we're trying to turn it around and demystify it. So they apply for the trademark. Again, they apply for the trademark. The trademark office says, no, 
we're not going to do this because this is an offensive term. And they say, wait a second, we're Asian Americans. What you know, we we are Asian Americans. We should have a right to do this. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. And their argument is, we live in this country where there's a First Amendment. We should be able to call ourselves whatever we want. And the government shouldn't be able to tell us that if you call yourself the singing Jeffs, and Jeff does not sing on the radio for good reasons, if you call yourself the singing Jeffs, you can get a trademark and you can be protected. But if you decide to call yourself the Slants, you're not going to be protected. That the, the argument is that violates the First Amendment. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll free talk line. And of course, what makes this particularly compelling is the people who are bringing the the case are in fact four Asian Americans who say, "Hey, we we should have a right to do this." I mean, it's not. Maybe, and I don't know, but maybe it's a tougher case if you had, you know, four middle-aged white guys that were trying to use some sort of derogatory term regarding another racial or ethnic group. But it's not. These guys say, hey, we're four Asian Americans. We are trying to reappropriate this. You, federal government, don't have the right to tell us that we can't do this. And, or at least if we do this, we're not going to be entitled to the same legal protections that everyone else is. Now, the Supreme Court's going to be hearing this argument uh, tomorrow. My take on this, and again, I've said this before, you can go broke trying to figure out and guess what the Supreme Court is going to do. And a lot of people are watching this case because this has a lot to do with the Redskins. If the slants band wins I think it's going to be pretty clear that efforts to deny trademark protection to the Redskins are going to fail as well. In my case, in my assessment of this, I think this is a clear First Amendment issue. I think they have the right to call themselves whatever they want, and I don't think the government, uh, any laws which restrict their ability, the ability of a band or a business or whatever, to call itself what it wants – I think that is clearly in violation of the First Amendment. Can't really, I don't even think it's it's close. Now, I understand that means that you might have some groups or some organizations or some individuals who come up and um, you know choose choose clearly inappropriate or offensive names and end up getting them trademarked. But you know what? That's sometimes the First Amendment is messy, and that might be one of these things. But I think the Obama administration, I think the federal government is dead wrong in trying to limit the ability of this band to call itself what it chooses. Just saying. 959, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In less than 10 minutes, we call it Dealer's Choice One of the most talkable topics of the day. Will Social Security be there when you are eligible? Stick around.